it's Corey. This is Here We Are. Jennings Mergenthal is a history and bio double major with an accidental poli-sci minor. They're from Chicago, use they, them, theirs, and right now they're living off campus in St. Paul. If you don't already know Jennings, they're part of the student group Proud Indigenous People for Education and one of the big figures behind the Board of Trustees' decision to rename the Humanities Building. They're a co-worker of Lester, who you can find on Twitter. And then there's the origami. The origami that I do and leave places and give to people, which the pandemic has really curtailed because you can't just be giving people things. That's a contamination risk. So I have so much origami in my house. My, my first year at McAllister, I had, um, for my first year course, Influential Indians, a biographical approach to indigenous history with Professor Katrina Phillips. And I realized about halfway through the class that this was the first time in my life that I had a professor who looked like me. Uh, she is also indigenous, and I had, I had never had an indigenous professor or interacted with someone else who, like, had the same hair as me in, like, a learning capacity. People are never sure what to make of me, on a number of levels, but especially racially. There was a Korean laundromat by where we lived in Chicago, where we went to do laundry. And my dad came in with me one day in a stroller, I was like two. And uh, the auntie behind the counter looked at my dad, looked at me, looked back at my dad, and said in a sort of accusatory tone, Is that your baby? My dad went, Yeah? And she looked at him, and looked at me, and looked back at him, and sort of tisked and went, Your wife is not Korean. My dad was like, No? And we didn't go back there after that. When I went to talk to a high school class, I went to talk about how race is a social construct. And uh, in order to do this, I was like, okay, let's, let's, let's have a fun participatory activity. The, the white teacher, who I love dearly, she's great, she was my English teacher, was like, I'll be right back, I need to go make some copies. And I was like, let's, let's have a fun little activity. What do you all think I am? Like, racially. And these kids spent a solid 10 minutes debating the minutia of what they thought I was. One of them was like, okay, you're, mm, okay, you're Filipino. You're at least half Filipino on your father's side. So I was like, no, 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 not his father, his mother's side, on their mother's side. And they went back and forth about, like, weirdly specific and the teacher came back in and just looked horrified and went, Why are you racially profiling Jennings? <laughs> it was really, I was like, no, 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 this is, this is a, a demonstrative activity. And then I told them and they were all like, oh, damn, I, I should have guessed that it was your father's side that was Korean. I was like, you, you, okay, the point is race is a social construct you were never going to guess. What made me think of it is there was something going around on, I was like Twitter or something, and it was like, when was the first time you had a black teacher? 
I left Chicago when I was 10, so I was there for 10 years, and the first time I had a black teacher was in preschool. And then I started thinking about how, when I was little in Chicago, I didn't really think about race at all. It was Hyde Park. There were, I think, two or three white kids. In, in my preschool class, there was a blonde kid, and we, we called him the yellow boy, because his hair was yellow. And my, my father, who is brown, was like, he was like, why are you calling him the yellow boy? And I was like, his hair is yellow. My dad was like, oh, okay. That's okay. But, like, race wasn't a thing we thought about in the context of, like, we knew we weren't white. We didn't really think about how white people saw us. We were just people. Not to all lives matter this, but like race isn't a real thing. It's a social construct. Because he was adopted by white people and raised in Minnesota, my dad has a has a very different relationship to race and how he thinks about his own race and the politics of adoption from Korea and adoption as an indigenous person is it's one of those things that we've never had an explicit conversation about and honestly I don't think we ever will he mostly kept that to himself he didn't try to to color the ways that I thought about race as a kid the one time it came up, it was in kindergarten, and it was like, do a family portrait. And we had a box of Crayola crayons, and I, I drew my parents and me, and then I colored us all in yellow, because that was the color I had. And my dad saw this, and I remember he sort of chuckled, and he went, well, I mean, I guess I'm the only one who's yellow. Well, Jennings too, I guess. And it just, I had actually forgotten about that until when I was thinking about this. It just, it completely went over my head. Even though now that is exactly the sort of joke I make on a daily basis. But then when we moved to Tacoma, Washington, my mom got a job in Tacoma at a university. It, it went from being, there were three white kids in the class to I was one of... I was one of four or five non-white kids. There were two black kids, one Cuban girl and one Samoan girl. And it didn't change how I viewed myself, but I became a lot more aware of I was being viewed as an other. Teachers would look at me and wouldn't just be like, ah yes, a student. They would be like, ah yes, an ethnic student. And a lot more people ask, like, what are you? And be even beyond that, like, I don't know, one time I said I was Indian. And the white kid sitting next to my class went, no, you're not Indian, you're Korean. And I was like, y you can be more than one thing, buddy. Y you sure can. And it was just... I didn't have any friends who looked like me because there wasn't anyone who looked like me. In, in middle school, we moved to be closer to the middle school I was going to, into a neighborhood that was 
even whiter. I didn't think it was possible, but I went f- it went from being one of like five non-white kids in my class to one of 10 non-white kids in my year. I didn't really, I still, it wasn't a thing that I really thought about. It was just a thing that people sort of projected onto me as being, I don't know, ambi- that's where I started identifying as uh, ambiguously ethnic or threateningly ethnic depending on the, the circumstances. Sixth grade was also the time that I started growing my hair out from the haircut that all Asian AMAB children have. And then I was very resistant to haircuts, so I started to grow it out. By sixth grade, I had, like, I had a little bob. And this greatly changed how people looked at me. Many, many, many times people would be like, ah, this is a girl. Uh, I couldn't use the men's room because they would be like, you're in the wrong bathroom, you're a girl. Which is a weird reversal of the sort of trans things that usually happen in bathrooms. And it was just, overall, it was an incredibly uncomfortable time. And I started then realizing more spaces where I was comfortable, which was powwows. <laughs> All right, people, potato dance time. Put the potatoes in your forehead. Battle nation, go for it, boys. My dad, his adopted mother, uh, lives in northern Minnesota. Uh, and we would go up there every year to visit, and every two years or so, it would correspond with the the Grand Portage powwow um, and rendezvous days at Grand Portage, sort of almost up by the Canadian border. And we would go because the town she lives in has one day's worth of activity. She lives in Grand Marais. There's like, there's one day's worth of things to do in Grand Marais. But we needed a definite second or third day of activities because it was more of a drive than just for one night. So we would go up to Grand Portage and the powwow. And I would just kind of walk around because at a powwow, I wasn't substantially different from anyone else. People didn't look at me and be like, ah, yes, an ethnic, gender confusing child. They'd be like, oh yeah, here's a child. Of course the child has long hair, they all have long hair, that's what children have. It didn't really hit me how tense I was all the time until I went there and was able to relax. And then it just, it didn't feel comfortable tensing all the way up again to go about normal society. Normal society in big, big scare quotes there. But then, when I came to Mac, I was the first, in spite of all my many, many criticisms of Mac, that classroom was the first space where I felt implicitly included because of who I was. Professor Phillips would say things that were, like, jokes and references and things that I, as an indigenous person, got, and my non-indigenous peers just didn't. I think one of the first readings we did was from Vine Deloria Jr.'s Custer Died for Your Sins. And Vine Deloria Jr. is really, really funny 
he's, he's just a genuinely funny man in his writings about like indigenous politics and how people view indigeneity and when we went to class to discuss this I was like this is hilarious this is a funny man but none of my classmates were really like they took it all very seriously because they saw it as something that wasn't like these are jokes about things that are taboo to joke about I can't laugh at this but I was like, no, he's, he's making fun of people who are saying they have a Cherokee great-grandma. This is hilarious. So I felt, I felt included, really sort of for the first time. And yeah, I think, despite all my many criticisms of Mac, I think that was a very powerful moment. And I'm definitely glad that I went here because I, it, I don't think it would have happened somewhere else. What I needed most was to see someone like the way I am now moving through the world. And because there wasn't that, I had to, like, it was a slow and painful journey of it's okay to do this, it's okay to be myself in these particular ways. So I, now, when I, like, go through these things, when I interact with with people, with kids, with first years. I'm like, how how can I be what I wanted to see when I was in their position? catch up with Jennings on Twitter or Instagram. They're at not underscore Jennings. That's N-O-T underscore J-E-N-N-I-N-G-S. Thank you so much for listening to Here We Are. The show is produced and edited by me with help from Shania Russell and Catherine Irving. Our music is by the amazing Blue Dot Sessions. I designed our tile art and special thanks to Robin Anthony Peterson who put together the portraits on our social media. You can check those out on Instagram and Twitter. We're at Here We Are Pod. That's it for today. I'm Corey Suzuki. We'll be back tomorrow.